Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. After Party Pod is brought to you by the book Ending Addiction for Good, which is by Cliffside Treatment Center founder and CEO Richard Tate and Dr. Constance Scharf, Cliffside's addiction researcher. Through self-disclosure, case studies, scientific facts, and firsthand experience, Tate and Scharf explain how anyone can recover from addiction. I'm a big fan of the book. It's I'm not the only one. It's received rave reviews, and it also made it into the VMA's gift bag, and you just know those people need to hear this message. You can get the book by going to Amazon, or you can go to Cliffside's website, which is cliffsidemalibu.com. Get the book. Get it now. I recommend it. Hi, guys. Anna David here with After Party Pod. And a special, special treat for you today. I'm not talking about that amazing theme song by Seth Rothschild. I'm not. I mean, that is special. But my guest today, the lovely and hilarious Danielle Stewart, is a comedian. And she has appeared on E! and VH1 and TBS and Howard TV and Playboy TV and just to round things out, the Disney Channel. Uh, she's contributed to Life and Style magazine and Girls Gone Wild magazine because apparently that is a magazine. Um, and she tours all over. She's been to Denmark. She's been to Jamaica. She's even been to exotic Des Moines. She's been at the Boston Comedy Festival, the Detroit Comedy Festival, a whole lot of comedy festivals. And she's been featured on Hulu's Comedy Brew and Ladies Night Out. Now, this is a woman who is not afraid to say pretty much anything. I met her and I thought instantly, she's so funny. She's so naturally funny, not trying to be funny, just naturally funny. And I want her on my podcast. And so I uh, pursued that and I, and I was able to, to, to cure that for you guys. I did it for you guys. And what I loved about it was not just that we sat in her bedroom on her bed, if you must know the truth, but that's because there was literally, there were, there were like a, there was a crew of men cutting down trees and outside her apartment. And I, there was literally a man swinging a sword in the street when I walked up and we were afraid of the noise, not the danger because we're not afraid of stuff like that, but the noise. And so, so yes, we went to the quiet bedroom and had a very frank conversation about sobriety. She's been sober uh, nearly a decade. Um, she talked a lot about that and we really got into the topic of sex addiction and, um, sexual obsession and um we discussed also sort of jealousy and envy and hope and facebook and twitter and i mean honestly am i not listing some compelling topics so i really had a great time and um i think you guys will too so please welcome and enjoy the lovely danielle stewart okay so danielle we're recording Awesome. Well, we're sort of, oh yeah, we've got my double recording system. 
Okay, on your little iPhone. Love it. We, I loved how we just had this long conversation about passwords and paranoia, and now we've got, like, two recorders going at once. Yeah, well, you know, we're both Jewish, right? Jewish alcoholics. Yes, lots of paranoia going on There's there. lots of paranoia. I did a lot of cocaine. I think I still have residual paranoia left over from that. Do you... Did you, you were. I did. I never got paranoia from cocaine. I got a lot of paranoia from marijuana. Oh, I did that too. I yeah. did that too. I would, okay, first of all, I'm self-conscious because I have these crazy marks from, um... Were you cupped? I was cupped. Okay. I love I didn't know if you had an that. abusive boyfriend or you were cupped. When I saw those, I was like, someone's oh, beating you. Yeah. Or you were cupped. Either one, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you know. Do you think that asking about the cupping is more invasive than asking I about do. the abusive I do. I think it's weirder, honestly. <laughs> um, it's really crazy. If I showed you my whole back, you'd like call the cops. Pretty uh, much. It's bad. I'm just going to uh, yeah, show you. Show me. I, I know this is not good for listeners. Because the cops love to come here. <gasps> wow. I that's know. like a crazy Art Deco like <laughs> wallpaper print. I actually kind of like, I want to take a picture do of it. Do you want to use it and put it on your federal I wall? do. It's really cute, actually. It is kind of cute. Well, what's funny is that the acupuncturist, or the cupper, both... He's the same man. He, is he abusive? Is he, he, your abusive boyfriend is a cupper? my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> he's like, do you want a picture of this? So he took the pictures and, oh my God, I just totally lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, yeah. And so the one of my back, I, di I was like, oh my God. But really what I was reacting to is that I could see back fat. And then he took <laughs> one of my neck and like my neck looked so thin and like my hair looked really kind of cute up in the ponytail. So I, I tweeted that. I tweeted right. that one. Like oh, it yeah. really didn't have to do with the big red welts. It had to do with that I saw back fat. Well, because the truth is, is that if you tweeted that there would be one Twitter asshole that was like, what's up with her love handles? And that would shatter your whole world for like a month. Yeah, so. I wouldn't know because I would never allow an image that I didn't feel was 100% perfect right. to get out there. Right. Um, how, okay, but so I, I do kind of want to go off on this tangent about social media and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Do you find Twitter like the best and worst thing for an alcoholic who is possibly seeking constant validation at every turn? Um, actually, I am very comfortable with Twitter. What I, I am not at all comfortable with is Facebook. Um, I have a constant battle with Facebook. Um, see, Twitter is perfect as an alcoholic because oh, yeah. I am just putting out. It's just me. Yeah. I put out. I don't get. Yeah, sure. Sometimes I have expectations of a retweet or right. or, or right. something like that. But for the most part, I can tweet all day long. Nobody could say anything, and I can still be okay. I can still. The story doesn't get crazy in my head. Right. right Facebook. Right is a fucking disaster. Right, with the stories you make up about other people's lives, lives being better than yours. Which, you know, they're making it up. I'm just reading it. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm not so I'm not someone who just add, looks at pictures. You add a little to the story about, oh my God, we're just so happy and look at our perfect child. Of course. I mean, well, of course, uh, who doesn't? But I actually, I'm a little bit different when I see people married um, with children. I feel, feel really bad, bad, bad for them. Yeah, I feel, I'm you like, you're trapped. You right. are just, right. I am sorry you made that mistake. Right. Um, but it's more like, you know, career, career stuff, stuff and So, but social. people, it, the boasting on social media is a very delicate art. Mm -hmm. Right? That people rape constantly. I don't know. There's no one that does it right. You can't do it right. The only way you can boast on social media is if either someone does it for you. Okay. Or um, you're sending a link to something that you did yeah. um, with nothing, don't say anything. And like, Interesting. For instance, Amy Dresner, who right. just um, wrote something for Good, you. Good, let's make an after-party chat reference. I always forget to plug yes, the site. Yes, let's plug uh, afterpartychat.com. Uh, Which you were just saying is the best website you've ever seen in your entire Absolutely life. Absolutely. <laughs> I read it all the time. It's how I get updated yep. on everything after-party. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Amy Dresner, very funny uh, comedian, wrote uh, a piece for you on yes. that. And she tweeted, check out this article I just right. wrote. Perfect. Right, perfect. Not yeah. like... You know, the, just completely, here's the facts. Check right. it out if you want to, if you don't. Right. The people who are, like, writing... It, that's the other thing about Twitter is so... It's that small amount of characters and a link. Yeah. Facebook, people are like, okay, so right. seven and a half years ago when I moved to L.A., I loved Tom Cruise. And it goes into this whole <laughs> long thing about how they ran into Trader Joe's and now they're going to be an extra in his new movie. I can't. But that stuff doesn't make you crazy. It makes you annoyed that you know them. Yes, but it also does a little bit make me crazy because what I hear in that post is hope. 
and I don't, oh, and, and I'm very triggered by hope. I'm right. very triggered by positive people who still have a positive outlook on like and have life and like have hope that like things are going to come together. Wait, pathetic hope or any kind of hope? Really, at this point, any kind of hope. Um, because keep hope to yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, th that's how I feel about social media. It's like, yeah. look, if you've got hope, great. But don't throw it in other people's faces. Not in this economy. Right, you know? right, right. We when did you start feeling that way? Um, uh, <laughs> probably about six years ago, uh -huh. I would say. Uh -huh. um, some of it has to do with stand-up comedy. Right. Some of it has to do with... Um, you know, interestingly enough, I started doing stand-up and got sober at the exact same time. Uh -huh. so, it, so you don't know. Which I don't know. Exactly. I don't know what, if it's where I am in my recovery right. or if it is stand-up or, or it's probably both. Well, here's a, here's a, uh, an optimistic challenge to what mm -hmm. you're saying. You know, some of it, I think, I don't know how old you are and we, we're ladies, so we don't even ask. 26. You're, uh, you don't look a day over 23. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, but 26. <laughs> I don't know what year that that is born, but let's... But I just looked at your license, and it's 100% true. Yep. Thank um, you. Yeah. So, but I was lying out by a pool, because all I do is really glamorous things like lying mm -hmm. out by pools, and I don't get abused by acupuncturists, mm -hmm. because I work 15 <laughs> hours a day. And and my friend and I are a certain age, and the other people around the pool were younger, were considerably younger. We're in, like, a just-landed-in-Hollywood kind oh, of age. I can't. And... She was so triggered by their, oh my God, I sold a pitch and this looks like this and all, and all of that. And I thought it was just so interesting, not so much that hope was gone, but that there was a time where I really was young enough to believe that that was the answer to everything, that selling that pitch was going to make me happy, that that meant so much, that I needed to tell everybody that that was like the main thing in my life mm -hmm. when it's not when I'm I get it that like as soon as I get whatever that thing is I just want something else anyway right and yeah. then also a lot of those things don't really lead to anything anyway. No! But, you know, I get triggered by that stuff all the time, too, now, and that's only in the last couple of years. Really only the last year, hardcore. Um, and it's not, probably something having to do with my age, which is 26. Right. But, um... You're the only 26-year-old to ever be triggered by her Right, age. right. Uh, yes. I'm triggered by people my own age. Yeah. Um, no, but, but the... <laughs> What what ha what I go through is is that unfortunately here's a truth mm -hmm. that Hollywood and people in general but definitely in this city and and this industry there is a huge weight on age oh yes huge weight on age and and to the point where there's a comedian I'm not going to say her name but she looks like she's in her mid forties but she is actually in her late 20s oh. or she's actually I think she just turned 30 mm -hmm. but she does not look like that yeah and it's better and I um am older than right. I look and could honestly jokes as I could pass for any age I mean you right. could tell me you were 25 you could right tell me I could tell you I was 26 and you'd believe me <laughs> um but okay maybe that's pushing it but the point is is that it's better for her to actually be 29 and look 45 than to be 45 and look 29. Why? I don't know. It has something to do with um, just long... I don't know really what the real thing is. I'm, I'm still You're piecing it the, together. This is like a theory you've made up, though. You don't... Um, yeah, I mean, there, we don't have, there isn't a guidebook to the right. entertainment industry, but right. this is after p many different observations okay. of, because the most valuable comedian, the most valuable, the person that's going to make it, by the way, if anyone wants to be a stand-up comedian, um, here's a tip. Uh, mm -hmm. if you are 20 mm -hmm. to 20, if you're 18 to 24, mm -hmm. uh, you will make it. If you can get on stage right, and do it. Because it just takes longevity. Basically. Yeah. And not even longevity. It's just, there's somebody that, there's somebody I know that started, moved here at 22, 21. Right. Really never did stand-up comedy. Started doing open mics within a year. Was signed at Brillstein Gray and had a uh, deal. But that person MTV. was really funny, I would imagine. No, not no, no, everybody. not funny at all. No, okay. no, 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 not funny at all. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not fun. Not like didn't even chance to be funny. Right. I'm not saying that she couldn't eventually be funny in the right. future. Although right. now it's been like four or five years, and there's still no real <laughs> glimmer of hope happening. But. She's had every opportunity. She's got passed at, you know, different right. clubs and stuff like that. Right. But it's because of her age. And it's because she's marketable because we don't... 
she's really an actress. I mean, they're looking at her as an actress who can do stand-up comedy. She's right. getting visibility because of the stage time, but they're going, oh my God, here's somebody who's 21 right. and can play 14 or whatever. Right. So right. my point is, is that, you know, um, they're mutually exclusive things like acting and stand-up comedy, but they're, they end up getting meshed together where mm -hmm. somebody's, you know, career as a stand-up comic um, I just did air quotes, yeah. is, you know, is sort of um, marked by what they book as an actor because they're a certain age, if right. that makes sense. So right. this is a bunch of mishmash, but my point is, is that age is very important. And yeah. so when I look at those young girls, yeah. I go, the truth is, because I got hit on, a. here's another thing that I know. I got hit on a lot in my 20s. Right. And I wasn't, I don't, I look so much better now. Right. I can't even, I'm thinner. Right. I have straight teeth. Right. I'm confident. I mean, it is, I look at pictures, right. it's horrifying. Right, right, right. In fact, I have, I wish I could show, but I have a picture of Wait, my we license. We can, because okay. I didn't put, you can't see that I'm actually 26 on that. But <laughs> there's a picture of my license picture when I moved right. here. Right. Well, license pictures are never really representative of anything. But, but you're you saying, can tell, right. you can see. The relative hotness. Yes. And I was a lot hotter now, and but I got hit on way more. Okay. I have the, that is the exact same thing. I was literally 30 pounds heavier, had frizzy Jewish, half frizzy hair, um, was drunk all the time, yep. chain smoked, and like, and like hit on constantly and it's like rarer so much rarer today but i think what that has to do with it's kind of like the newcomer in a program it's like it's like it's just that i looked willing and dumb it wasn't that i looked more appealing yeah i mean i'd like to believe that that's and that could truth. be true but i and maybe that's what it is and if there's any guys out there that can help explain this because well, you're not intimidating when you're a drunk, overweight girl. Right. I'm, yeah, that's true. But I, I guess maybe there there is that theory of people, fives get hit on more than eights. Right, right, right. Because it's a, you know, yeah. lower hanging fruit, perhaps. Right, right. But, God, I mean, I don't know that that was it because I was still really cute. I don't think I was a five. I was right, just right. out of shape. Right. Um... Yeah, and, and I had a huge drinking problem. I mean, I guess I, I was very easy. Okay, yeah, let's be I, honest. I, mean, <laughs> I had easy out written all over me. <laughs> I just think, because I experienced the same phenomenon. But I'm still easy now. That's the thing. I'm, so, I'm like easier. They don't know that. I know. That's what we're going to change with this podcast. <laughs> I was a condom Nazi in my 20s. I can, I can barely right. get, I can, I'll barely let a guy wear one now. Right. I mean, You're like, are you listening? No, but you don't want to be impregnated. <laughs> no, 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 I don't at all. Yeah, no, 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 I wouldn't. That's not. I I feel that I I have this <laughs> feeling that I can't get pregnant, right? Um, which isn't true, right? Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, that's a dysfunction I have. You right, just don't right, want right. it. I yeah, mean, yeah. is that a dysfunction? I mean, I think that might be nice to what? just clearly know that you don't want. To oh, do I definitely don't want kids. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is that um, I I I don't want to be pregnant. Yeah. I don't want to have a child. Yet I'm not using protection regularly. So right. basically, what I'm saying is. I can't wait to get an abortion. That's really what I'm saying. And that's a horrible thing to even, but maybe, I'm not thinking about it. No, but maybe what you're saying is, well, this, so you have a sex life. That's exciting. I have a very active sex life. Oh yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, I mean, we're not getting into alcoholism, but this arguably could be more interesting. What oh, does it's your very... active sex life consist of? Right now I'm going through, um, I went, I was in a two year relationship, mm -hmm. um, with an alcoholic who mm -hmm. relapsed, mm -hmm. um, and it was a disaster mm -hmm. and we had a very, um, codependent or, Alanani kind of mm -hmm. relationship. You and met so him in recovery. Or I met him in no in my regular life, but uh -huh. then I started dating him when he was um, had you know was really solid in his thirty days of sobriety. Right, nice. And um, yeah, and then we broke up, and he relapsed after we broke up. But he was on his way head on to the relapse the last six months of our relationship. My point is that after I crawled out of that horrible thing. Um, it sort of seemed to coincide with the beginning of my sexual peak, I uh -huh, think, uh -huh. um, which 26. is coming early at 26, yeah. but you know, some people develop earlier than others. Um, <laughs> so I have just been, you know, wanting to have sex all the time. And it's different than when I was in my, tw like I've always loved sex. Yeah. I've always been really 
Um, I don't want to say easy. I mean, I am easy. If I'm attracted to you, I'm super easy. But you don't have shame around your sexuality, is what it sounds like. No, not since I quit drinking. When I quit drinking, I did because I thought I did those things when I was because I was drunk. Right. And then when I sobered up, I you realized, realized oh, no, that's, oh, I'm just, just a whore. Uh, <laughs> like that's actually who I am as an authentic person. And then the shame was gone. Right. Well, you but know? I, I think in all seriousness, I think that's really healthy that you mm -hmm. that you. Do, I mean, I think so many women do feel tons of shame around it, and and they feel like. Oh my God, if I sleep with this guy, he's not going to respect, you know, they get caught up in all of that because that's societally what we're taught. Yes, it um, is. And I somewhere along the line realized that if I'm not going to be able to uh, uh, check out with um, drugs and alcohol, yeah. then I'm going to enjoy right. this. I'm going to enjoy sex. Are you able to quote unquote check out with sex? Oh God, yeah. I have, yeah. I have unhealthy sex and then I have fine it's healthy okay, sex. Okay, tell me the difference. So, um, well, so, uh, well, I guess I'll just, um, I identify as a sex and love addict. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Look at this. Yes, okay. but I am not, um, I don't work that program anymore. Right. Um, I used to, it was actually my primary program. I didn't know that. That predated the others. It very shortly predated. I was in that program for about three months when I realized that if I didn't um, stop blacking out yeah. with alcohol. I wasn't going to be able to, <laughs> to like, keep my bottom lines, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is what they do in that program. But anyway, um, but the thing is, so I have every couple of years, so I get into a sex addicted relationship. Okay. I'm not a really a love addict at all, right. actually. Right. Um, and I don't know a lot of female sex addicts. I know they're out there, but they don't usually... I don't think we know have. one in common. Yes, I'm sure we do. Yes, but yeah, no, it's true. Right, it's true. So I um, get into a sex addictive relationship where I get what I like to lightly call dickmatized uh -huh. with somebody, uh -huh. and then it be and it usually is triggered because the guy is not as hot on me as I am on him, and then I go into the chase. And I oh, pursue it like okay. I would pursue, like someone got me hooked on heroin, and all right. of a sudden they're not calling me back. Right, right, you right, know? right. Um, that happens, like, I'd say once every three or four years. And and then you get him. I assume you are successful in your pursuit. Well, we. You, what happens is I don't, this is what's tricky about it. I'll have sex with someone, and I won't realize that they're that that they're going to do that to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm just casually having right, sex here, right. and then all of a sudden they I get hit. Away. Yeah, they pull away, and I get hit with, for some reason, they're like the perfect cocktail yeah. of like emotionally unavailable and right. bad for me. And it's always like some kind of complicated thing, like they're my boss or they're married. Like it's it's always something like... Right, right. It's where not simple. It's not simple. Right. And... I get, I can, though, I can check out so well on those because right, it's so right. distracting and Well, and it, and it is just like cocaine. I mean, yeah. I've been in those where, and, and it's every text and you're in full on fantasy land yes. and, and, um, yeah. And it, it is talk about like waking up the beast. Yeah. That really wakes up the beast. That is... I don't feel sober during those times. Yeah. I mean, I know that I am. I'm yeah. not obviously in the other program, right. which is why I stopped doing it because I would do all of this work and then I would do my step work and I would feel really like I've got this. And then I would have a couple of healthy relationships, right. dating plans, which is the worst right. two words should never go together. Right. Right. And then I would like quote unquote relapse. And honestly, I enjoyed the relapse more than I enjoyed the three years that I spent right. trying to be healthy. But, and it didn't, you, it didn't have a very destructive impact on your life. Of course it does, but it's short and it's right. worth it. Right. Wow. You know, I mean, yeah. at this point I've been through it so many times now that I, I'm, I've sort of learned to control my drinking, so to speak, in the right. sense that I'll meet somebody and I can most of the time tell if they're going to be someone that's like that. Right. right and right. sometimes I can peace out and, and, and like get out of it. Yeah. I cannot take the first drink. Sometimes the train has already left the station. Right, right, right. But if I recognize that it's that and the trains left the station, I just go with it. I go full on. I'm like, let's just bang, 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 bang. And then I'll deal with it. Is it? Um, because I relate to this to a degree. I mean, like I had a certain kind of toxic man that I was, you know, routinely engaging with and it was, but he was obvious from the start. He, no, he wasn't obvious from the start. My reaction was obvious from the start because I was immediately obsessive. Mm -hmm. And the men that I can date in a healthy way, I don't get immediately obsessive. I don't, I'm right. not checking my phone every second. I'm not, um, convincing myself because in therapy I sort of realized what was behind that for me it wasn't really about the sex it was more like this I would convince myself this is the last man on earth and if mm. this man does not love me mm -hmm. that's it dying alone and it was even though I would go well that doesn't make it that's not 
accurate. Look, there are, there's this guy here. It, w- rational thought would not invade. Was mm-hmm. it like, but it wasn't like that for you? No, I get... Well, it's evolved. Um, I've had different... I've been addicted to men for different reasons at different times. It, all, it really does also depend, like, where my head is at. Right. But in the last few times, it's really been about sex. I am addicted to high-intensity... Um, you know, if you were to watch a, a a sex scene, there's a sex scene in a movie called Disclosure from the '80s with um with Demi Moore oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Michael uh, and Michael Douglas. She's like rapes him. Yeah, and it. I am addicted to sex scenes that look that feel like those that looks. Okay, if that okay, makes sense. Okay, so, very high intense, slamming right. up against walls, blah blah. Right, blah, right, right, right. Which right. is only comes with built up tension, with like you know forbidden situations. Right, with it doesn't right. you don't get that with someone you're dating. Unless you're doing like role play, which you're probably not down with. Which needs to have two people. Right. And like my friend Nina Manny um, says, a comedian Nina Manny, I don't like to role play because I don't need reminders of my failed fucking acting career. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I don't want to do that. Right, right. I like to create authentic dysfunction. Like, dysfunction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good for you. And it, it, it also helped, like the fantasy, it helps with it. It's like this guy is... Um, this guy, you know, is my boss. I mean, you know, the right, complicated right, right. things. It's right. just... But I I got really hooked once I was in, working in this office and um, at this production company. There was this guy that worked there who was not cute. Mm-hmm. He was short. He was like a nerdy, not cute guy. Mm-hmm. And we, it was just when Instant Messenger had sort of mm-hmm. come. Mm-hmm. I was in eighth grade. <laughs> God. Um, and we started Instant Messaging. And for some reason, I don't know how it... it this is, you know, it, it transpired into this really highly intense thing where we had to pretend we were professional. He was around the other corner. Right. He had a girlfriend that he lived with. Right. And we ended up going into the um, oh a supply closet and he like ripped off my, and I wow. have never had an orgasm that intense. And from that point on, wow. I have not been able to shake that addiction. Wow. And when was that? That was in oh. 19, that was in, no, that was in 2001. And that was just one time, or did that continue? Um, we no, we engaged for a little while. Like we probably hooked up like two or three times, but it be you know he had a girlfriend, and I was confused by the whole thing. I was right. like, what is going on here? And then I ended up losing my job over it oh. because um, I was I couldn't answer, for, I couldn't do work. Right. I was like frothing at the mouth instant right. messengering him. Right, right, right. And then that transferred into being like a long lifelong now or adult lifelong life of us sexual text messaging that I'm addicted to which is my oh, biggest trigger really sexual really. text messaging don't is my biggest trigger don't you things to say nope really no I don't Endless I don't new material I mean it depends how usually I am so much more into it than they are uh huh because guys wanna see yeah we wanna read yeah, and yeah, yeah. hear and fantasize they wanna see so it Usually they'll give me a little bit before they want to graduate to real life or or pictures or webcam or whatever. Do you worry about these pictures getting out? Well, I'll never send anything with my face on it. Right. So, no. Right, right. Um, And quite frankly, um, I've never looked better. So I... um, I, You're like, please circulate. Please post. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm very afraid at the age I'm at of aging. Like, I'm very afraid of, like, I'm starting to see some changes. And now I'm just taking pictures like crazy. Right, right. Right. To, I don't know, show my grandkids. I have no idea. I These just... non-existent grandkids. Yeah, like show somebody... Yeah. Like, you know, so I don't know. It's very strange, but... So where do you think this comes from? <sighs> Not the picture taking. No, of course. Um, it comes from... You want to get deep, Anna? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, It comes from... I I recently watched a a special on the OWN Network called Daddyless Daughters, Uh which was very... It was intense. It was great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really realized that something that I'm lacking in my own... um, Self love. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a hole where a male loving non sexual relationship is, and mm-hmm. um, so when I got into, I was very pretty as mm-hmm. a as a young mm-hmm. girl. I didn't know it, but I was very right. pretty. So I got attention from men very early on. Right, right. And so um, I started to I learned somewhere. I got the message that my value. Yeah was in the way I looked. Yeah. And then in high school, I got... Um, when when you're a girl, as you know, and people don't like you, they call you a whore. 
that's whether you are right. or you're not. Right, that's right, what right, they do. Right. So I start. I went into a new school. Everybody hated Where me because I was Jewish. Up? I I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts. Okay, not a lot. No Jews. And no, there was, but I went to a private Jewish school, right. and then I begged my mother to put me into um, public high school because I wanted that, right. you know, John Hughes experience. Right, right, right. And that was a nightmare. Um, I was new. I was Jewish. I was pretty. Like they hated me. Right, right. right, right. The girls. So. I, I got terrorized. I got called a whore. I got, you know, all this kind of stuff. And um, because I got called a whore, guys thought I was a whore. And right. so I got all this attention. Right. And I somewhere learned to take control of that and go, okay, you know what? I'm going to take control of the sexuality. You're not going to, like, I got, you know. Yeah. So it, something mixed with my value is in how I look and I'm taking control of my sexuality. Now I have something to offer. Right. So the core belief within me is, um, I am worthy of nothing unless right. I'm giving, unless I'm offering you sex right. or drugs and alcohol. And I don't right. offer drugs and alcohol anymore. Right. Right. So that's the core belief and that's where it comes from. So when somebody is intently and violently, hmm. you know, cheating on their right. girlfriend, cheating on their wife, you know, blah, blah, blah. It translates to you to, so much. Exactly. Yeah. It translates to I'm enough. Right. And right, that's right, what right. that's about. Right. But you're so knowledgeable. Taking the about sexy it. about out of it. Um, no, but that's like <laughs> There's yeah. a guy listening to this like jerking off and going, Oh oh god. No, no, no. <laughs> I like that you just did a jerk off. Sorry, I did. Too. Yeah. yeah like yeah, sitting. Sorry. Um, and you blushed. Um, I'm still blushing. I don't actually believe I'm capable of blushing. Um, I don't blush either, yeah. But but um it's interesting that you're so self aware about mm. it. And yet, still in it. Yeah, yeah. It, that's, it does. Do you do all the ther- all the therapy? cognitive therapy? Of course. Are you in therapy every week? Yeah. I mean, I took a, a long break from it, right. but um, I am in it right now. Yeah. And does it quote unquote improve this issue? Or you're what you said is that you like it. It's yeah. like still working. You know what? It's chipped away. The awareness has chipped away. What it has, what it does take out is the shame and mm-hmm. the self hatred mm-hmm. and the beating myself up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't beat myself up about any of this shit anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I'm it feels like a conscious decision. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. sometimes even when I'm in addiction, even when I know that I've, something's happened and now I'm powerlessness, I accept my own powerlessness. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, this is who I am and I'm getting better. You know, um, when I start to do things that I can be somewhat, I'll sabotage my career, but stuff I don't like with this kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes like I get involved with people that right, will like a married comedian or something. Yeah. I mean, well that the truth is I've never actually been involved with a married man, but like there has been obsessions right. and pursuits with married men right. that have, you know, is that, is that thing where my friends are constantly like, but he's married. Right. right you right. know what I mean? Like you need to let it go. Right. Um, but yeah, but I mean like somebody who, can offer me work or right. something like that. I've right. made a lot of messes. Right. There's a lot of, you know, things I can't do because of that. Because I do like to shit where I eat. Like, right, right. Because right. strangers don't interest me, really. Right. Well, okay. But, okay, so how long are you sober? Um, I'm, I'll be 10 in November. You'll be 10 in November. So nine, nine years, nine months. Um, and, and tell me about, so you're, so you're from Massachusetts, mm-hmm. came out to LA to party, to party mm-hmm. and to become nothing really. Um, I didn't figure out I wanted to do stand up until I'd been here for four years. What were you doing before that? Uh, waiting tables. Oh, you, well, you know what I wanted to do is I wanted to work in the entertainment industry and comedy cause I loved comedy. Yeah. So I moved here. I got a job, uh, waitressing at the laugh factory. Uh-huh. And then I was like, I'll just figure it out. Cause I was like, you know, right. young and, um, and that led to a lot of different jobs in comedy. I booked rooms. I assisted a comic. I worked in an agency. I worked in an agency for like seven years, um, repping comics mm-hmm. and, um, and then somewhere along that line, I realized I was miserable and I wanted to try stand up myself. And so, um, I did that sort of under the radar for a few years when I realized that that's actually what was fulfilling me. Right. I, you know, I made the transition to like accepting myself as a comic and that's where it's been since. And then, um, and when did you first start drinking? Um, I started drinking when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, alcoholically from mm-hmm. the get go, just cause my parents weren't never drank at home. My dad was a drinker and a, uh, cocaine smoker. 
What? Um, yes. Okay, he wait, was... t- tell me more So that. my dad is, my parents are both, um, I guess what you'd classify as hippies, but mm-hmm. not really politically. They just, you know, they lived in Taos, New Mexico. They hitchhiked. They walked right. the earth. You know what I mean? Right. Um, my mom, you know, did a lot of drugs. My mom used to live uh, with Dennis Hopper, actually. she had She's had quite a life. Okay. And my dad, um, as well, uh, he toured with Nina Simone, and he's been, he's had some success as a musician, but for the most part in my life, my parents have been uh, struggling artists. My dad's a street musician to this day. Okay. Um, he doesn't. He's never really earned an income. Okay. Um, How did they send you to private school? Uh, my m- grandmother uh-huh. w- was wealthy. She's an upper middle class Jew. Right. 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 Um, and that's who we moved in with. That's where I was raised in her house. Oh wow! So your parents? Are you an only child? No, I have a little brother. So your parents were kind of like, were they quote unquote fun? Were they, uh... Well, my mother was, my mother is extremely talented artist and she was making her way in her career when she got pregnant with me and immediately, I think she was just one of those women Then when she got pregnant, she was like, nope, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And she immediately moved from Taos, New Mexico, where she was like painting and making like turquoise jewelry and like moved my dad, um to Massachusetts in with her mother Uh and I think that was supposed to be temporary but then my mom just you know she had her baby and she changed and she became a Jewish you know middle class or upper middle class uh, mom right and wanted to get me into Jew school and do the whole Jew thing and we were very Jewish and my dad meanwhile is like probably sit around waiting going like what what happened what happened here and he's you know not a little slow on the uptake, so it took him 13 years, or it took him 11 years to um, figure it out. But he finally, like, left and moved to back to California, where he's from. Mm-hmm. And he's been here since 88. And he just, you know, my dad lives in, like, a shack with no running water. He doesn't have any teeth. He smokes pot and, like, eats, like, stuff out of cans and, like, plays his guitar. And he smokes cocaine. Uh, he used to. So when we was living with us in Newton and it was the eighties and people had money. Yeah. Um, my dad basically would be home for a couple days and then go out Run. to downtown Boston and play music on the street and free bass. Cause that's what people were doing in the eighties and drink and, you know, fuck groupies. And like, that's basically what he did, you know, from the time I was born for, from 80 to like, you know, 88, you know, well, I mean, I wasn't born in 80, obviously, cause obviously, I'm, yeah. you know, 26, but you know, thought. whatever. Um, and do you have a relationship with him now? I do. But I'm considering terminating. Really? Yeah, because I realized that my last serious boyfriend was him. Right. Was him, exactly. And I feel like I allowed... I, Even though that relationship was very painful, I tolerated it and kept trying to fix it because right. it was my dad. Right, right, right. And I, it's just... I feel like if I'm going to allow him and my, my dad in my life, I'm going to continue to allow people like my ex in my life. And I Interesting. don't do want to do that. Do you think that, um, I mean, so your dad lives in a shack and eats out of whatever because mm-hmm. he's an addict, right? Or no, no. life choice. Um, yeah, my dad is, and this is what was sort of difficult for me to wrap my mind around addiction because my mother has a knack for dating quote unquote functional drug addicts. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is they, you, it's not the stories you hear in the rooms, really. Right, right. It's not like I was homeless under a bridge. It's not, you know, my mom's husband after that was a crack addict. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be fine for months at a time and then he would get like a windfall of money and he would go on a weekend crack binge and my mom would go crazy and then it would be over and it would be fine again for another six months. Right. So that was sort of what I grew up with. And so, yeah, he doesn't, from what I understand, he doesn't have any money. He doesn't want, his main priority is not working. His mm-hmm. main priority is playing his music and that's all he wants to do. So it seems like pot, it seems pot is easy because you can grow it himself. Right. I, I think, you know, he drinks, if he is given it to for free, he'll do, I think he'll probably do blow if it's given to him for free, but like, there's no money to do that stuff. Right, right, right. And an addict that I know, like addicts that I know in the rooms in LA would figure fucking out how to go and get it. Right, right, right. But he just, he's fine with that. Yeah. So it's like, is he an addict? I don't know. He's just 
lives at a very low f- level of life. But yeah. yeah, it's a choice. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't relate to every single thing in the rooms. You know, the, the people talk all the time. I procrastinate and I'm full of sloth and I'm just like, oh. And I'll be like, oh, am I not an addict? I don't relate to that at all. Right. So just because he's not... I mean, granted, that's a bigger deal, not going and chasing down drugs, but it's, it still sounds like addiction. To me, he... Yeah, it does to me because he sacrificed... I mean, look, there's, there's a, there's a thought that every human wants to, you know, be involved in their kids' lives and, and be a a parent, but I don't think that's true. So it's hard for me to say he sacrificed mothers, mothers maybe, but not even, you know, it's like, not even, not always. Right. But, um, but mostly, yeah, but my dad, yeah. I mean, he, my dad's number one priority is music. Mm-hmm. And nothing's gonna fuck with that, and nothing's ever fucked with that. And I think that the drugs and the booze and whatever goes along with that. And if for some weird universe it didn't, my my thought is he wouldn't do it. Right. I, I really feel right. like that. So you started using drugs when? Um, probably sixteen. I started smoking pot. Um, fairly regularly. I'm gonna do something weird. It's just because my neck. Yeah, no, no, no. Kind of hurts. Um, this doesn't. <laughs> I'm just sort of no like problem. lying no, down no. and doing a weird stretch. I'm gonna move the microphone closer to you. So and so, so you. But uh, I really kind of took off. Um, you know, I tried coke and I did all this. But when I started working in the bar industry when I was like 20, mm-hmm. um, ecstasy was big, mm-hmm. and um. You know, I, I mean, I smoked tons of pot through high school and, and early college, but when I started working in the bar industry, I got heavy into coke and ecstasy. But drugs never took me down. I mean, drugs was something I did, but alcohol is my right. problem. And so, what caused you to get sober? Um, a general, what I know now to be a spiritual uh, illness, a spiritual uh, ba- bankruptcy, mm-hmm. Um but what it felt like at the time was debilitating depression Mm -hmm. and the alcohol wasn't quieting it anymore. Right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't solving it. I could no longer live. It used to be that my life was miserable during the day when I was sober and then I would live to go out at night and party. Yeah. And then that stopped. And then it stopped being enough. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah, and I was just miserable and I didn't, you know, some people when they're in that position have the opportunity to go with their heroin addict friends and go in that direction or go with their coke right, addict friends. Right. I just had a bun. I was working at a production company and I just worked with a bunch of other, you know, 20 year old, you know, people in their twenties who like to party. Right. Um, and so there wasn't really an opportunity to go off with those drug addict friends. And I'm again, grateful for that. Yeah. But like you said with your dad, I, I feel like you might've found them if you were meant to. I guess. You know. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't ever really looking for that. I was never looking like I looked to be a cigarette addict. Like oh, I, I sought it out. Yeah. yeah. I sought it out. I sought out being a drinker. I sought out right. being a pot smoker. I sought out ecstasy. I even sought out cocaine, but I never heroin, crack, speed. None of those things ever interested me. I didn't find those addictions to be glamorous. Right. 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 But I did find the other stuff. To be glamorous. And so you, um, so were you, were you suicidal? Like how did yeah, this, oh and, yeah. and so you said, did you know sober people? No, I didn't. I, um, I had taken, I had gotten prescribed Prozac and, um, it made me manic, mm-hmm. um, mainly cause I drank on it. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I spent this whole summer just acting crazy. I mean, I was drinking three times as much as I used to. And then I was like hooking up with people. I was picking people up off the street. I mean, I I was going, it was like crazy. So the wreckage, the on paper wreckage was extremely clear of what was happening. And that was 2002. So I I didn't get sober for another like little over a year. But from that point, it just started to be like incomprehensible demoralization from that point on. I finally got off the meds um, in like April of 2003 on my own. Okay. So I probably went into some sort of like post antidepressant depression. Yeah. But I couldn't figure out the right combo. It was like going out to bars was causing too much of like, I would wake up with like someone I didn't know and like, 
like like Taco Bell sauce all over my face. Right. Like it, there was too much weirdness with that. Right. And then when I drank at home, it was like I would wake up on the floor with like a call log on my cell phone that like I couldn't even deal with. Right. You know, like it just kept you, being. Yeah, you couldn't stop yourself from doing shit. It was getting very unmanageable. Right. And, um, oh, this is actually, I always forget about this. I moved, a, a friend of mine from high school who actually was like my arch enemy in high school, mm-hmm. this guy, we actually got in like physical fights and stuff in high school, but he was like the only person I knew that had lived out here also in mm-hmm. LA. And so for some reason we had become friendly after all those years going by and it was like, you're the only Newton person I know right. out here. He developed a crystal meth addiction and needed a place to stay and in my, you know, dormant Al-Anon um, things, I was like, oh, let me, let's, let's, com- let's have closure on our lifelong oh hatred and you come in well. yeah. and live with me. So he was supposed to stay with me for a weekend while mm-hmm. he figured it out and he stayed with me for six months. But when he moved in, I wasn't sober and he was me- dealing with his crystal meth addiction through drinking. Mm-hmm. And so we fucking drank right i mean we drank and there was no real unmanageability because um we were home right and it was just me and him and you were gonna black out and yeah and we just passed out and we called it a day and then i met a guy and who was normal and i started to bring that behavior that home behavior into the relationship and it the mirror of him his like reaction of like You just drank two bottles of wine on your own, and now it's four in the morning and you're drunk dialing me. Right. Was not flying. Right, right, With this normal guy. And I had, I guess, a moment of clarity where I went, if I want something normal, then I've got to figure something out. And that's when I, um, I don't don't know, I ended up calling this girl who I hadn't talked to in a while. Um, I think I was just calling everybody because I'd lost touch with all my normal friends. Right. And I called this girl that I hadn't talked to in about a year and she was going to AA and I was like, I'll go with you. Uh Uh-huh. Did you you call her because you thought she might be getting sober? No, I, no. I called her because I think I was calling a bunch of just people who used to know me before I went off the deep end. Right. You know, people who I used to have, you know, like old friends basically. And when I, I mean, you're, I'm, you know, at the time I was 20, really early 20. So old friends was like somebody I hadn't talked to in a year. Right. 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 You know? Um, but yeah, I hadn't, and and she just happened to be going to AA and it was like a God shot. I was like, okay. And you just started going and you just got sober. I started going, I didn't quit drinking immediately, but then I decided to go for 30 days and I remember feeling so much better after 30 days. And so I decided to go for 60 days and it just was one of those things like it just felt right. Right. It, it, it felt like what I needed. It, yeah. it, fe- it just felt, I didn't, I hated the program. I hated the people. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. Well, but being sober felt like, okay. Yeah. Because I, I, I stopped having the debilitating depression and like unmanageable anxiety. Right. You know? Right. And when did you stop hating the program and the people or has that not yet? <laughs> no, no, no. That happened. That happened in 2009 when I had like five and a half years of sobriety. I, I, I hadn't been going to meetings for years. I mean, really, irregularly. I didn't have a home group. I wasn't in touch with the program for years. And I hit a bottom, like a gnarly, suicidal bottom. Right. And uh, I decided, I mean, it lasted, you know, like eight months. Mm. But at the end of it, I decided that I was going to kill myself or I was going to go back to AA. Mm -hmm. And and so, and I didn't think it was alcoholism. I really didn't. I was just like... I thought it was just my career and I was like, I'll go to AA and like, so I have some place to go. Right. And I went there for 30 days, like every day. And at the end of the 30 days, I was like, oh, right. right. I'm an alcoholic. Right. And this is my medication. Right. And that's when I recommitted and I have been full on like, I go, I mean, I, I try to go to a meeting every day. I go wow. to five meetings a week for oh, sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you like pray, do you? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, not a regular regimen cause I never got into get up, make my bed. Pray. Yeah. I never got into that. Yeah. Um, but I do, um, when I feel scared, which is, um, usually several times a day, mm-hmm. um, I do pray. I do my third step prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I'm drowning in resentments, yeah. um, you'll write about them and, um, sometimes when I'm feeling it changes the things that I'm, that I do, I do just enough that works. And then if it doesn't work, I go deeper and I go deeper. But, um, a lot of times I'll pray for, you know, I try to pray for the people that I, that, 
the girl who's not funny, but uh, right. Oh yeah, I've prayed for her a lot. Although you know, the the danger of praying for somebody because it, what I have found in the entertainment industry is the people who are not nice to people who are um, very dysfunctional who are still using are the ones that make it right. And I had a conversation once with this guy who was a dry drunk, and he goes, Danielle, show me one comedian who is sober who is on top of their game show me one now right now i can show you yeah one. but at the time there wasn't this was actually right after um greg giraldo died right and uh I, he, he was totally right everybody that was kicking ass right that was really like doing it were all pretty much either addicts or miserable comics and that's the truth the truth is is that the people who are willing to step on other people, the right. people who don't care at all about humanity or don't care all about themselves and are willing to run themselves ragged doing 17 different things, those are the people that get ahead, that are going to do it. But I, I'm okay with that now because I can't live that way. Right, right, right. So I'm okay with... I want. I've realized my my goal in life has switched from wanting to be a successful stand-up comic to wanting to be happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's the thing. It's like, I know some, you know... Horrible, horrible. I like very successful actors who are horrible. And I know some very successful actors that are not horrible at all, that are nicer, like movie stars, who are mm-hmm. nicer than average people. So, I mean, I, I hear you that that super dysfunctional type, that type that is not going to stop, that is, you know, I think that they are so, that, that type of personality is so sick with that belief that getting fame and and on top is actually what's going to, you know, heal what ails them. And that's just, they're setting themselves up for a huge, horrible... Or they're not. But what they do, what what happens to those people that we don't know about, um, that I've, I believe happens to them, I've seen some of it, and we hear about some of it, I guess, is that they're miserable once they get. It's like what you said when I thought that pitch was going to... um, heal me or save yeah. me or whatever. Yeah. And they're miserable. And, you know, quite frankly, I grass is always greener. Would I rather be miserable with a long resume? Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. No, you but, wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't that. now. But, but, but there is something. It goes back to what we originally started talking about, which is, you know, my biggest struggle is always going to be self-worth. Right. I don't think I'll ever really fully heal from that. I'll be, I get in better places. But it does suck when you're... Standing next to somebody who might be miserable in their life, but they've accomplished things and a neutral party and it's like they put more value on that person because right. they've had those right. guest stars or whatever and they don't put any value on the fact that I've spent most of my life in therapy, have worked the 12 steps right. several times, I'm good right. to my friends. That has no value. Like I, I, um, I meet a lot, as a female comic, you meet a lot of people, and when they find out you're a female comic, that everyone wants to talk about comedy, which right. is the worst thing in the world. Right. Especially female comedy, and it's like, for a period of time, it was like, what do you think about Chelsea Handler? And then it was, what do you think about Whitney Cummings? And right now it's, oh, I love that Amy Schumer. And it's right. like a knife that goes into your gut, because right. it's like, yeah, they're great. Um, but, you know, I'm... I don't want to talk about their sets and their lives right, and their whatever. Right, it's like right. good for them. Great. Right, right, right. You know, but it does have the thing of no matter what I do, and then it goes back to the dad thing, no matter what I do. It's not enough. It's, yeah, it's not enough. They won't notice. They only notice if there's these things. Right. So how can I not feel like that's what's going to make me complete? Well, I guess our goal, and I mean, I'm saying this as much to me as I am to you, is with all this work that we do in recovery and therapy is to not give a shit what they think and what easier said than not. You know? I don't know that that will ever happen, but I, what I do know, what I have had success with is I no longer care if that happens for me and I do care. It's always going to hurt when somebody who has no significance in my life or whatever right. puts more value, gives more power to somebody who's done things right. that, you know, that's always going to hurt me because right. my ego is my ego. Right. But I think that um, I think that uh, what those are moments in time that I'm up against versus like my day to day everyday life. Right. And I accept that I am only willing to do what I'm willing to do, and that I accept that I'm not. I could get farther if maybe if I did X, Y, and Z, but I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z, and I, and I don't shit all over myself about it. Right. 
Well, but okay, that being said, you perform in Vegas all the time. I have, yes. Okay, so talk to me about what you're doing. Well, I used to perform in Vegas somewhat regularly at a show that's no longer um, uh, around. Mm -hmm. um, uh, at the Palms, it was called the Playboy Comedy Shows. That's not around anymore. But like every now and then, like there'll be a stand-up comedy show that I'll go out to Vegas and do. I just did a corporate um, event there. Um, and yeah, I, tr I do the road, uh, not as much as I used to, but I do, and I do stand up, you know, um, somewhat regularly, and, but right now I'm, uh, for the last, like, while, it's been a while, I've just sort of been living my life, mm -hmm. and, um, I won't say no to gigs, and I don't say no to stuff, but I don't have, like, people are like, what do you want? What do you want? And I just can't answer that question anymore. Right. You know, I may be able to, but right now I'm in this like downswing where I just, I'm focused on my program. Right. And um, what I really want is just to be creatively fulfilled and be happy and be able to pay my bills. Right. And I don't really know that's what it, that's whatever those things are. You know, I took, I even took, I've been trying things out and last year I took like a regular job, like a marketing job. Oh, really? That was a disaster. Okay. Um, but you know, I made some good money for a chunk of time and yeah. then I, I left, but I learned through that experience that, oh no, 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 it has to be on your turn. It has to be a freelance. It has to be like, I freelance, right. And like that is a good supplemental income. Like I have a lot of multiple streams of income mm -hmm. that sort of keep me afloat. It is no retirement plan. It is no, right. but for the last couple of years. What do you write for? Um, I do copywriting. Okay, nice. Um, I do art department stuff, mm -hmm. uh, copy for art department stuff. Um, I, I've done very minimally article, like article writing, but um, that's what I should be doing more of. But for the most part, I do like newsletters and P um, press mm -hmm. releases and stuff for... It pays better, I'm sure. Than much writing. better, sure. But it's... it's Soul like depleted. pulling teeth. Yeah. Yeah, but I would rather sell my soul, quote unquote, to that. Than in an office. Than, yeah. Reading other people's yeah. air yeah. all day long. And, yeah. and the truth is, is I could start writing some articles and start submitting them. I don't do that because right. I have been in a lockdown. Like, I've I'm coming out of it. Right. I'm starting to get, but I used to spend like five to six hours on my career every day administratively. And that just raises my expectations to a level I can't handle. Right. You it's mean a, you would send out... Oh, I would get up in the morning, I would write for a couple of hours, then I would email my manager, I would stay on top of this, I would go on my website, I would update my... I mean, I was constantly booking dates in town to put on my website, and blogging. Right. I mean, I was crazy. And while it felt really good in a way, yeah, I always, like, um, compare it to, like, juicing kale, like... When you juice kale, it's like, yeah, you'll have to juice a lot of kale and you'll get some juice and eventually have a shot of kale and right. it's really good for you. Right. But it's not like you're holding a riffraff bag of like unjuiceable kale. Right. And that is just what it was like. I mean. Right. Right. So the fruits that I am enjoying today in my stand-up career have to do with all of that work that I did. Right. So there, it's not nothing. But if you didn't enjoy, if the doing of the work made you too insane, then it's not worth exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And so I have to bring it down. I can't do no work. Yeah. Because yeah. then I may as well just quit. Right. Um, but I ha it has to be very minimal. I am willing now to, I, I don't even, it's not even an hour's thing. It used to be, because I did, I read The War of Art. I Never love read that, that book. Yeah. Oh my God. It's People love it. It's so great. Yeah. And I lived by that for a long time. Um, I can't do that anymore. So what I do is I make a to-do list and I give myself two business related things like two emails or two things I need to do and I get those done. Right. And that's where I'm at right now. That like, seems reasonable. I like that. I yeah. make a to-do list that is totally undoable. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I've gotten out of that cuz that's yeah. I I struggle with perfectionism yeah. and that's been something I've had to. So I'll make it I have a running to do and then I right. take off that running to do and I make um a daily to do. Right. Right, right. And then there's always like three things I actually have to do. I mean, I even put like gym meeting yeah. on there so yeah. I feel like I've done stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like like you know, there's two usually two emails I need to send out. One's totally directly career related, one's just like maybe self-care related. Right. Um yeah, I keep it really small. Because that's if good. I don't, I don't do anything at all. But that's good. And it's also, you don't have these massive welts on your back that like I have as a result of... Is that stress related? Well, it's it's like 10 hours at the computer every day. Oh. Every day. But, for, but you're a writer. Yeah. So that's right. where I have to be. Right. But I work very much on having balance. 
Yeah. You know, that's constantly like, like my thing is like, if I talk to my mom and I'm like, Oh, I'm taking the day off. She's like, Oh my God. Good for you. It's like the opposite of a Jewish mother. That's yeah. amazing. She's just like, and it's always just like you work too much. And, and yeah, there's, you know what? I, I come from a non-working family. Mm. So I was like that as well, and um, it took me a long time to realize that there's no fucking, I'm not getting an award. I know. I'm not getting I a like thing. I like it, though. See, the thing is, I do enjoy it. I enjoy parts of it, but I realized that I was having expectations. Yeah, that's about... interesting. I mean, I think that's really self-aware, that you're just setting yourself up. You know, the thing that I am always striving for, too, is around that, is how do I have hope without setting myself up for disappointment or resentment? Um... What I have found is I don't dabble in hope. Hope to yeah, me is, is like near we're, beer. We're going full, full circle. Yeah, hope to me is like near beer. I have to be in faith only. Okay. I can't get into hope. Okay. And that's why I get very triggered by Fire. hearing people talking about their screenplays and blah, blah, blah. Because, right. we, you know, we there's all these, like, things they say about L.A. Like, oh, blah, blah. Like, these people are talking about their screenplays. and But really what people are bothered by is that these people actually think that this means something. It's their delusion that's bothers Right. Them. Yeah. But these people, I mean, yeah, there are some sick people who are literally making up that they wrote a screenplay and they haven't. But most of the people actually have done that. They actually have emailed it to an agent that will never read it. Right. But the hope right. that they're keeping alive is right. very threatening um, because we're yeah. not a... Yeah. But because it reminds you of you. Exactly. Yeah. It, or, or it reminds me of either something I used to have right, or something right. that's beaten out of me or something I wish I still had. Well, but I think that's different. I mean, when I see people that... You know, the people who are talking about the things that are happening in their career are often my most successful people I know don't talk, talk the about least yes. about what's going on in their yes. careers. And it's the people that are trying to keep the dream alive and just like, oh my God, I work so hard. I can't make it to that, says the person who like, you know, doesn't ever work, you know? Right. Yeah, I can't. Or the person. Resume givers. I yeah. can't. And, and, and I won't. Yeah. I can and I want. And you're right. I mean, when I am, when things are really cracking, yeah. I don't want to talk about it no. because one, I don't want to jinx it. And two, I know that not everybody's in that place. And I know what it feels like when someone tells me, yeah. you know, obviously I'll tell my really good friends, right. but I'm not going to go around being like, just got a comedy special. Like right. I'm not going to do, you know. Right. Right. And even those people in meetings who will sort of share stuff, you know, like, it's just, it's so clear when somebody wants t just to get attention for that. And it seems sad, you know? Yeah. And I really, and I think it's sad because I want, I want validation. Like I'm going, yeah, I want people to be like, what do you mean your site? And oh my God, you know, and my, I, right. I totally want that reassurance, which is why we hate it. Yeah. And we see it in other yes, people. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Okay. You're fantastic. This has been so good. And now we have to do, um, the, the, um, Question from Twitter, which I don't actually have in front of me, but it, oh, I do have it in front of me. It's from Mark Desjardins. Uh huh. French, French, love it. And he was asking about um, subutex, and um, and then I was telling you when I walked in here about how the situation is now shilling for Suboxone, mm -hmm. and I sort of asked if you had any opinions on, and these are opiate replacement drugs, right? Um, for anybody who, you know, it's interesting when I came. Um, when I first came into AA, when I came back into AA in 2009, I was going to a meeting that had a lot of uh, heroin, ex-heroin addicts on it mm -hmm. that were all on Suboxone. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know, I'm not an opiate addict and yeah. I had that problem, so I didn't know what Suboxone was. Right. I just knew that it wasn't methadone. And I, I, it's very known that methadone is a drug on its own. Yeah. And that, yes, while it helps you, it's also a drug on its own. Right. I thought, I had heard that Suboxone was you know, comparable to like an antidepressant right. where you take it and it really just keeps you from being dope sick and keeps the cravings away. Right. Um, what I've recently learned is that isn't the case no. and that it's actually an opiate in itself yeah. and it's a, it's a drug in itself. So my, my p opinion about it is, is that if you're taking Suboxone, you cannot say you are sober. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my opinion about mm -hmm. it. It doesn't mean you can't be in the rooms. It doesn't mean you can't start working on your recovery. Right. But I, I don't think that you can include that in your time. Right. If it does. However, 
I, I let, let me just say this. I wouldn't sponsor someone that was on Suboxone. Yeah, and yeah. mainly because I don't have any experience with it. Right. But I'm on antidepressants. Right. And right. if I were to start getting panic attacks and someone were to prescribe me clonopin, right. I, I would take it right. as prescribed. Right. That would be the thought. So if somebody's taking Suboxone as prescribed for a period of time right. to get off of heroin because that's what the, they're under a doctor's care, that's one thing. Right, right, right. But if that's not a solution... Yeah. As a long, I, and I, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I just think it's dangerous that it's considered, there's no exit strategy. It's just considered a long-term plan. You're just going to stay on this and that, and that they, you know, yeah, that they get people to go around saying I'm sober and I'm on Suboxone. And that's just like spreading that to a huge, you know, people, the the public misunderstands addiction so much already and it's Mm -hmm. just confusing and muddying the waters more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I've never been on Suboxone. Uh, I know I know lots of people who have, and apparently the detox is worse than the detox for anything That's else. what I've heard also. Yeah. I've also heard that as well, which, which is actually how I found out that it was, oh. which made me realize, like, you know, um, you know, we, I, I don't have any hard and fast opinions about, you know, um, things that affect you above the neck or blah, blah, right. blah. But you're in AA, it's a spiritual program and you're supposed to connect to a higher power. And the more things that you do that cut you off, there are things right. that cut you off from that higher power. And then there's things that open you up. Right. And I, I do feel like psych, psych, uh, psych meds, psychotropics, yeah. um, uh, allow you to feel be, normal, to feel normal so that you can connect to a higher power and, and get into your program. If you're having panic attacks, that's a medicine that's as needed. Right. You know, I have no opinion on that. Right. And which is why I don't, you know, it's hard for me to say about the suboxone, but right. I do feel like if, if there's an exit strategy, then yeah, I mean, people go into detox and they're on Xanax and yeah. whatever, but I also feel like why not just start your time over? Right. Right. I mean, I think this will be debated increasingly, mm-hmm. you know, more and more. Because when I got sober in rehab, I mean, I wasn't, an, I, I did like opiates, but I wasn't an opiate, whatever. That wasn't my main thing. I, you know, I guess they were putting people on Suboxone, but it wasn't the way it is now. Yeah. Um, but, okay, transitioning out, people can find you online and your website that apparently you never update anymore. Uh, yes, yeah, I just You're updated so it, actually. Um, my website is uh, daniellestewart.com, and that's D-A-N-I-E. Uh, L-L-E-S-T-E-W-A-R-T. And then I'm on Twitter at the Danny Stew. And that's D-A-N-I-S-T-E-W. And it's funny. And not always safe for work. Not always. Mm-mm. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time. But not always. Yeah, not but always. But very funny. Yes, thank you very As much. As you are. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me.